The following is recorded from Marine Creek Church. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at www.marinecreekchurch.com. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning. Welcome to the creek. I'm Pastor Matt. If this is your first time here, uh, welcome. We have a, thank you, Marcus. We have a guest card in our uh, worship guide, and your worship guide are in the seat back in front of you. If you could fill that out, we just want to get some information into your hands um, so you know who we are and, and start a dialogue. We don't barbecue every Sunday. Um, that's just the man cologne station this morning. You know, like when you walk into a department store, you got to walk through all the fruity fragrances. Fragrances? I'll, I'll be able to talk by the end of the message, trust me. The fruity fragrances? That's a tongue twister. But we've got the barbecue man cologne going on out there. So, um, yeah, and I haven't even been close to it because I was like, I don't want to smell like it. I'll make myself hungry. This thing's really hot, man. I'll make myself hungry, but hugging all y'all, I smell like barbecue. I'm guilty by association. So, uh, uh, but yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Three o'clock this afternoon at the park over here at Azo Avenue and, and 820. Uh, we're going to have m- more food than we know what to do with, and then we're boxing up leftovers, and that's going to be delivered to feed um, those less fortunate so that they can have some, some good home-cooked home-grilled, smoked, barbecue, tater salad, all that good stuff. So uh, 3 o'clock this afternoon. Bring a lawn chair, though. It's uh, BYOC, we'll call it that. And uh, we are going to hang out. Uh, one of the core values that we have as a church is community. And, and let me help you. This, this is great that we gather, but this is not community. This is the body gathering. Uh, this is the body getting together and encouraging one another and getting to spend some time worshiping, regardless of what's gone on this week. I know this week has been a heavy week. We're going to address that in just a second. Um, But this is a time for us to come and encourage each other, be encouraged, praise God, uh, engage with the truth of Scripture, and then we go out, and it becomes our responsibility when we go out from here to engage in this value of community and relationships. Um, And and honestly, I like just the idea of family, you know, because that's how we roll. And so you can't do that any better than around food. And so we're going to do that this afternoon. One of the things that, that we have experienced as a church is, is incredible growth over the last six months. And as a result, we've got some growing issues. And um, they're good. I'm 100% of pastors in the world would love to have growth issues. Um, but they still can become issues if we don't uh, deal with them. So I, I want to kind of help cover if you've got kids especially pre-K and elementary kids, um, a couple of changes that we've had to make, and I know it's been a work in progress, and I understand that acronym is WIP, so um, bear with me for a second. But the children's team has done the best they can um, to come up with a, a way and a flow to help the, the kids and the teachers. And honestly, those, that's, our, that's my priority. I know it's a little uncomfortable, uncomfortable for us as parents, but the priority is making sure that the kids have a, just an amazing time. And as a result, in the preschool rooms, when we have changeover in services, when one kid is kind of going in and they're a little apprehensive and then they see another kid getting to leave right away, they're like, wait a second, you're pulling a bait and switch. So we've changed how, how we do pickup. If you've got pre-K and kindergarten, we pick them up in the big room at the end of the hall. And then to help flow, if you could just go out that door and come back around. You're, we're not banishing you from the coffee bar after you get your kids. We're just trying to manage flow. I mean... You know, yeah, we need a bigger house, but it ain't happening yet, so we're going to manage what we got. And um, so that's just one of the things that that I wanted to cover with Pastor Tammy. That's some family time. Um, And so you could help 
by that. Also, baby dedication is coming May 19th. So uh, we're growing either way. Some of y'all from fruitful evenings, I guess. Um, <laughs> that's one of those when you're about to step in it and you're like, uh, this, is, this has been a... a my default, honestly, when, when things are hard is comedy. And I know I'm not the funniest guy, but it's kind of like my go-to. Um, this has been a heavy week. Uh, I, I don't even want to turn on the news this week, to be honest with you. Um, it seems like, you know, just everything. I mean, you start out with a normal day, which, you know, most tragedies do. You know, it starts out with a normal day. And um, then you find yourself glued to a TV station, um, TV set, trying to make sense of what's going on. Um, and, you know, we're, we're confronted with this reality, and Jesus doesn't, doesn't mess around with it. We live in a broken world. We live in a fallen world, and we, we're going to see things happen, and, and evil exists. Um, but one thing that we can do is, um, I, go, I went through a range of emotions this week, and I went through anger um, that uh, cowards would choose to do something like that. Um, I went through sadness. I went through fear, I'll just name it, but what it did is it drove me to my knees, and I want us as a church to pray for those in Boston and those in West, and, and I know those are two tragedies that, that are on the scale of newsworthy, but honestly, there's families every day that go through tragedy, um, and so I want to pray for them, and, and uh, just so you know, we, we're, we're doing some collections, and we'll get some more formalized collections going, but we've, we're taking 10% of all the giving from this weekend, and that's going to the, the community of West, and the church is there to help. Uh, the churches have set up a thing where they can, we can give to them, and they can distribute as they have need. Um, so we're, we're going to be giving to those churches, um, because God's blessed us. Um, he's blessed us with seeing these tragedies from an outside perspective. But just because we get to see it from the outside doesn't mean we don't engage with it. And so um, God's called us as a church to engage, and, and we're going to engage in that way. What I want to do, I want us to pray, and then we'll get into the teaching and, uh, and get on with the day. Father, we, we love you. We know we can, we can start in page one of Scripture and know that you're in control. And we know that we go through times of just, just hard times, Father, and we know that there's there is evil in this world, and, and even as evil and as, as hard as it gets sometimes, you're still on the throne. Father, you're still trustworthy, and I thank you that nothing happens apart from your eyes, that there's not one sparrow that falls to the ground without your knowing it. And so, Father, I know that, that you saw and that, that you hurt with the events this week, and we know that we don't serve you because you're distant from human emotion, but you know exactly how to minister to our hearts. Father, I thank you for that. I thank you for your grace and your peace this week, that through the mix of emotions that that I've gone through, that just many have gone through, through the anger, the sadness, the fear, the worry, and and, and the wonderings. And, And Father, I thank you for ministering to hearts through that. Lord, I just thank you that you are in control. I pray that you give us all, um, as your kids, the hearts that are willing to engage as those first responders did, um, the true picture of heroes who are willing to lay down their lives for others. And we see that played out ultimately as Jesus is the ultimate hero who was willing to lay down his life for us while we were yet sinners. I thank you for the men and women that rushed into smoke and, and, and dangerous situations to save lives. I pray that you bless them. 
I pray that for those that lost their lives this week, that, that you bring a comfort to their families. And Father, I pray that you bring a hope um, that none of this is for nothing because you, you don't waste anything. Even when evil happens, you don't waste it for your glory. So I, Father, we, in spite of hurt and sadness and anger, we tell you that we love you. We praise you and we give you glory. We don't know why this happened, but we know you're in control. And we look for the opportunity to engage. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, last, last week we talked about the church through persecution. Uh, you know, <laughs> evil that didn't just start this week. Evil just didn't start on 9-11. Evil has existed um, when Satan was cast out of, of heaven to earth. And that's where evil began. And we're born into a broken system. So we deal with evil. We live with evil. And last week, you know, we saw the, the power of the Holy Spirit take the church that it had really started to become comfortable in Jerusalem and begin to scatter them because Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so we saw uh, the church scatter and Philip ended up in Samaria last week. And uh, if you've got your Bible, go to John chapter 4, and then we're going to go to Acts chapter 8. So we're, we're journeying through Acts verse by verse, but I want to take a little detour this morning into John 4 first and um, talk a, a few things about uh, Philip, because Philip is actually going to be uh, harvesting some seeds that Jesus had planted in John chapter 4. We talked talked last week about the division between the Jews and the Samaritans. Over 700 years, they've been fighting, um, and uh, they had been against each other. The Jews really hated the Samaritans. As a matter of fact, when, when they were journeying through the region, Jews would take extra days to travel to go around Samaria. That's how much they hated them. And, and we're going to find in John chapter 4 where Jesus goes right at it. I love, I love that about Jesus. He's, he's a man among boys when you think about it. Because most of us men, we don't like conflict. Now, we'll bow up and we can talk a big game, but we don't like conflict. No, if you like conflict, man, I'm going to pray for you because that's just a hard life. Jesus isn't afraid of conflict. I'm not saying he likes it, but he's not afraid to it. He's going to go headlong into it. And what we find in John chapter 4 is Jesus coming through Samaria with his disciples and he's going to find, he's, you're going to, we're going to find Jesus in John 4 at a well, at Jacob's well, about noon. Pick up in verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have, done, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and herds and flocks? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So what's going on is Jesus sits down at a well and he's, he, he starts engaging. Now, to understand the importance of this interaction is to understand the history that for 700 years, these two people groups had hated each other, had been fighting. I mean, 
sons and daughters had grown up in this racism. Well, why do we hate him, Dad? Because. I mean, I love that Jesus is just going to go right to the heart of it. And Jesus takes over. And he says to this woman, he engages, says, can I have a drink? Will you give me a drink? And she's blown away by the conversation. Uh, who are you to be asking? We don't associate with each other. Are we even supposed to be talking? And then he said, you know, if you knew who was asking for a drink, you would have asked me and I would have given you the gift of God. I would have given you living water. And she looks at him and says, how are you going to get water? You don't even cup. And he begins to tell her about this living water. He says, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming to draw water. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Some translations say, I I perceive you are a prophet. Jesus told her about her past. He just said, they don't have any history. Their first interaction was here at the well. And he goes, yeah, the fact, the, the truth is this. This is your past. And he doesn't use it to condemn her. I sometimes think, it, I, I would probably say that to somebody, but I'm grungry at this point because Jesus was hungry. You're going to see that in the story. I would be grungry. Like, yeah, that's right. I thought that was funny. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. So what's going on is Jesus reveals her past. Uh, he, that, that takes a miracle to be able to know the woman's past. That takes the power of God at work to be able to look at her and say, go call your husband. I don't have a husband. You're right. You've had five and the guy you're with now is not your husband. But then he moves in not just to tell her her past, but who he is. He says, you're waiting for the Messiah. I'm he. You're looking at him. I am the living water. And so Jesus uses the power of God to reveal himself to this woman. This is important. Then the disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. So the woman had just had this exchange of conversation with Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, God in flesh, who just told her everything he did. And when she goes back to the town, what she says, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could it be the Christ? And then the people come out based on the, the signs of God. Let, let, me, let me help you with something. You have a testimony. She went and gave her testimony. Never underestimate the power of God in your testimony because that testimony should include the times God's power 
was at work in your life. And there were things that happened as a result of that power. But your testimony, your story, better get to the revelation of Jesus, not just the signs and wonders. Does that, does that make sense? And so the woman goes to the town and says, hey, come see this man who can do cool stuff. He was able to tell me all about my past. Verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. See, it has to connect. The signs and wonders all point to Jesus. The signs and wonders reveal who Jesus is. We get caught up in a cycle of following the signs and wonders and miss Jesus. Let me, let me help you. Quit looking for the signs and wonders and look to Jesus. We're like, well, God, show me your power. Show me, show me what you can do. God, tell me, don't, I don't, God, I know my past. Tell me about my future. God, help me do this. Give me your power to do this. You, you see what I'm, where I'm going? We, we want to go to it and draw off of the power of God to get what we want, and we miss Jesus in the balance. And so today we're going to pick it up in Acts 8 because Jesus plants seeds here that Philip is able to be in Samaria and people can remember that the Messiah was still among them. Like, wait, the same guy that came through the town? And so we're going to see this story of Simon the sorcerer and we'll pick it up there. And we're talking about purchasing power today. Um, the best way I can explain purchasing power is when I was a kid and I would have allowance. And I used to collect matchbox cars. They were the little cars. If you got little boys, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you have little boys that have left those out in the middle of the floor and you've gone walking through the floor in the middle of the night, you know exactly what repentance means after some of the things come out of your mouth when you step on one of those things, right? Um, they were 97 cents at Kmart. And I was like, yeah. But, but I would walk into Kmart with a dollar. And I realized very quickly I, my purchasing power wasn't that great because I forgot about tax. I'm like, hey, don't mess with a kid that way. On the toys, really? You're going to charge tax on the toys? If that's the case, they need to put the price on the car. I'm sorry, I'm soapboxing. Anyway, purchasing power <laughs> basically boils down to how much can I get with what I got? And we start to look at that with God. This, this idea infiltrates the church, and, and we're going to see the apostles address this idea of trying to, to break this doctrinal challenge is really what it comes down to. I mean, if you've been around church, you hear pastors argue about doctrine and theology. Um, I, I don't like to engage in those arguments. Anytime church leaders start fighting, here's my philosophy. When church leaders start fighting, the bride gets hit. I mean, you watch all the movies when two guys are fighting over a woman. Who gets hit? The woman. And she's walking away from both of them. I don't want to be that, that, that way. Here's what we engage with, the truth of Scripture. And so we're going to see a doctrinal challenge that, that we're going to see a man today that believes that whatever he gets from God, he has to earn or can buy. And that still exists. I'm going to be honest with you. 
That's, that's an evil philosophy that still exists today because we think if we can serve enough in church or we, we, we give enough in the offering or we, we, we're, we have perfect attendance at church that somehow God's going to favor us and think we're better than all of his other kids. God doesn't have favorites, by the way. And that's, that's, a, that's a dangerous philosophy because then we think we get in this cycle that we can earn God's grace or his favor or his love. And then we find ourselves working in a futile system. And we find ourselves as empty and broken. The truth is this, Jesus earns it and gives it. And if Jesus didn't pay for it, here's the bad news, we don't get it. There is nothing that we get from God that we can afford. A couple years ago, Heather and I went to Vegas because we're high rollers. I'm just kidding. We go to Vegas to eat before you start judging me. Um, we go to eat. Um, and I got off the plane. The first thing I want to do is go find one of those three ninety nine buffets, you know, because that's what Vegas was supposed to be all about, right? Cheap food. But it was supposed to be good. Nuh-uh. Those don't exist anymore, my friend. Those, those went away, I think, with the dinosaurs. The buffet was $40. But fear not, I made him pay. <laughs> I was stuffing prime rib in Heather's purse and everything. There's nothing cheap about Vegas anymore. And I remember walking down some of the hotels. I mean, just the, 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 just the craziness of excess, I can call it. Walking down the, the midway or through these casinos and the, the shops, the malls. Because these casinos have gotten smart. They're like, hey, people don't just come here to gamble. But we can come, Lauren, here with shopping and all kinds of stuff. And so Heather and I are walking through these casinos and the malls of them, and we can't go in any of the stores. I mean, I, I, no. If you've been to Vegas, you know I'm talking about a $150,000 watch displayed in the window. Are you crazy? That's for the guy that hits it big on the blackjack wheel. He's got to burn a hole in that pocket real quick. Hey, where'd you get that watch? It's nice. I paid $150,000. Where'd you get that, blackjack? I realized very quickly I could not afford Vegas unless somebody else is buying. (laughs) But we think that we can buy it or earn it or get it from God. No, it has to be given, and we have to receive it. It's by faith through grace. And so we're going to see and experience what happens in this story. We're going to see the good news that this gift really is good news. The gospel means good news. It takes humility to get it. Verse 9, Acts 8, verse 9. Now for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is the divine power known as the great power. That'll mess with your pride, won't it? Like people following you and then like, hey, your name is now the divine power known as the great power. I'd be like, just call me DPGP. (laughs) They they followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his magic. Uh, Here's a truth of reality. You know, we live in a broken world, in a fallen world. And part of our, our human nature is that we have this attraction to power. I mean, part of what is is just... What I think is cool about Vegas is just, man, the amount of power and money and 
just the ingenuity of humans to get money out of other, other people, you know? You think about it, I mean, but we have this attraction to power. We want to be close to the one in power. I mean, when we get in a new job, we're like, okay, who are the people in power that we have to start politicking with? You, you, you've seen it played out. And we've been in the system, and we know how it works, but we have this attraction to power. But, but sometimes we've got to be very careful about the power that we're attracted to. You see, Simon the sorcerer had power. They called him the divine power known as the great power. So he was doing magic. He was doing something. There were some some signs and some wonders about Simon. But we have to understand that just as much as we say the Holy Spirit has the power to bring life to dead people, to open eyes, open ears, there's an unholy spirit at work in the world. And where Simon is getting his power... It's demonic power. It's, it's from the enemy. It's from the devil, Satan, Beelzebub, however you want to say it. It's an unholy power at work. And the people were following him amazed at this power. I think the biggest magic trick in this was Satan himself, honestly. That he's sitting back and going, hey, I just threw Simon a little bit of power. Look at all these people that are following me. What you got, Jesus? That's where Jesus, man, he just takes over. He is on the throne, and Simon's dealing with some pride. I mean, I mean, you do something good, and somebody gives you a nickname based on something good, and that becomes you. Us guys like that as our identity. And that builds up pride. And let me tell you something. Pride is a thing that will hinder us from coming to Jesus and receiving that free gift. It's not your sin that will hinder you from coming to Jesus. I know the enemy tries to trick you and, and do that on you and say, well, you, you've done too much. You're too evil. You're, you've got too much baggage in your past for God to forgive you or for God to love you or you can't afford grace because of what you've done. That's the enemy talking. And when we have sin, if we're willing to humble ourselves and say, Jesus, I need your grace, it's the humility that he can respond in. When we humble ourselves and say, God, I have a great need, and I'm willing to admit it, that's humble. But pride will even say, no thanks, Jesus, I'll take care of it. I can, I'll pay for it. I don't want you to pay for it. Or Simon's case, I've got great power, and they call me divine power. What do you have that I need? I mean, in our society, let's face it, I mean, Most people in our culture don't come to Jesus because they're too weak. It's because they're too strong. I've built my kingdom, Jesus. My kingdom of comfort is is awesome. I can cover my bills. And if I get sick, I got a doctor. I got some kind of health insurance. I can go to Walgreens or CVS and Walmart, Target, whatever pharmacy. If I get a headache, I don't need to pray to you, Jesus. I'll take an Advil. We built our strength around us, and it takes great humility to lay ourselves at the foot of the cross. And let's understand something. We don't bring anything to God. At best, we bring a broken mess. That's the best thing that I can bring to Him. God, I've, I've made a mess of everything else in my life. Can you help me? I mean, look at the difference in resumes here. I mean, you got Simon, who's got this great power, you know, a great magician on his resume. And I was reading this thinking about Paul, the Apostle Paul, when he went through his resume. He's like, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, man. I was Pharisee of Pharisees. I could follow the law to the letter. I was perfect at following the law. 
And I love what he says in Philippians 3. He said, but I count it all as rubbish. One translation says dung. You know what dung is. He says, it's all trash. I bring nothing to God. And it's his grace that covers us and makes us new and makes us whole, makes us well. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. What's Simon looking for? Astonished by the great signs and miracles. You know, I don't know what was going through Simon's mind, but maybe he saw that and thought, well, they're doing greater powers than I am, so Jesus can help me trade up. Jesus doesn't help you trade up. Jesus takes something that is dead and gives it life. And the following Jesus is not a result of what he can do and the signs and wonders and his power. It's who he is. If you think about the ultimate act of humility for us would be the good news is that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He placed himself on a cross. He laid in a tomb, went into the depths of hell and ransacked hell and took the keys and walked out on Easter morning so that we could call him Father. We could be reconciled. The humility is, Jesus, I'm not going to follow you because of what you've done. You are my Lord and my God, and I will follow you with everything I've got. Whether you do nothing else for me, you've done more than I deserve. That's humility. That's the worship in spirit and truth that Jesus is telling this woman at the well, that's what God is seeking. And Simon's amazed at what he sees. Let me, let me help you with something. We will grow bored with miracles. It will only be a matter of time. You know, well, I saw him raise somebody from the dead again. Eh. It's happened like four times this week. I mean, when I posted on Facebook the first time, it had like 90 likes. Now people are like, meh, why don't you find something new? He walked on, I saw Jesus walk on water. He does it every day. We'll do that with church too. We got to be careful. I know we can make jokes about things, but we got to be careful about how we do at church. Well, I hope that the worship is good this week. I don't know about that. Matt, I hope Matt's good this week. Hey, I pray that too, Okay. I hope Matt's funny this week because last week a couple of his jokes were, they were dung. Um, If that's what we're chasing, we'll get bored with it. But there is nothing boring about Jesus. Nothing. And you think about it, the beginning and the end, the Alpha, the Omega, the creator of all things, has the creativity to make all things. How are you ever going to get bored with that? There's, we can't even imagine the depth of his understanding, what he can do, who he is. Man, just to be able to sit. I, I mean, it, I've, I've tried to read my Bible and miss Jesus, and I end up falling asleep or I've become disinterested. I've tried to fall uh, or tried to pray and miss Jesus because I'm too busy telling him what, where I want his power at work in my life, and I miss Jesus and I fall asleep. I'm not the only one that does that. I'll admit it. But when we catch Jesus, man, he is captivating. There's nothing boring about him. All the signs, all the miracles, all the wonders, 
All the things, all the displays of power point to Jesus. Yeah, he can tell the past. He told this woman's past. It pointed to who he was. Through Acts, we've seen people, we've seen the the blind receive their sight, the lame walk. Why? To make Jesus clear. We're going to see throughout the book of Acts, people who were dead be raised to life, miracles, signs, wonders, people who are locked in prison in chains walk out. Why? To make Jesus clear. All of those things point to Jesus. When we get hung up on the miracles, then we start thinking that God serves us instead of us serving God. It's like, how are you going to get me out of this one, God? What you got now? He says, I'm going to let you deal with this one. If you're the great power known as divine power, let's see you do it. Let's go on, verse 14. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. The persecution, the church was scattered except the apostles. The apostles here, hey, people in Samaria are getting saved. Let's go check it out. When they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. You see, the power of the Holy Spirit brings unity to the church, to the body, to the family. And I don't believe that Luke, Luke is the author of Acts, I don't believe he's writing this passage in this little paragraph to give us a um, formula for how God gives the Holy Spirit. Um, Doctrinally, I'll help you. I believe that when we give our life to Christ, when we come to the cross in humility, there's transformation, there's rebirth. You've heard it said, born again, regeneration, uh, becoming a Christian, spirit giving birth to spirit, as Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3. I believe when that happens, when there is a genuine change of heart, when grace covers us, when faith comes alive, the Holy Spirit moves in and he begins renovation. I believe that he He moves in. He baptizes us into the church. I believe that he takes up residence. And Scripture tells us that he seals us for the day of redemption so that God can say, that's mine. And then he continually fills us and empowers us. People like, you know, a doctrinal thing. I was in a meeting. They're like, well, do you believe in the second blessing? I was like, I believe in the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth. How much time you got? I can keep counting until we go eat barbecue. That's how many blessings I believe. Paul said, be you continually being filled by the Holy Spirit. Man, as often as I inhale, I want the Holy Spirit to to fill me. But what's happening here, think about the context. We like to take things out of context. Think about the context. You've got a 700-year dispute with two people groups. You have the Jews in Jerusalem who have, have followed Jesus and still carry a hatred and a racism towards the people of Samaria. And they're like, uh-uh, they're outside of grace. God can't love them. And I believe this is a beautiful act of unity that God does through the apostles that they actually go from Jerusalem to Samaria to say, we're coming into your town, into your space. And, and through them laying hands on them, God pours out the Holy Spirit to say, this is one body. What a beautiful thing God did to cut off before it can start a division in the church. 
of trying to create some kind of class system or structure within the church. He says the Holy Spirit's coming to bring unity to the body. The apostles laid their hands on them. They had to touch them. They had to engage with them. And the Holy Spirit's poured out. Laying on of hands is a validation. When we, when we ordained pastors here at the creek several weeks ago, we laid our hands on them. And that laying on of hands and praying over them is acknowledging God. We acknowledge and we're given our validation to what you're doing in your church, really. And we're sending them out. And so what happened is the Holy Spirit unified the body and empowered them to live like Jesus. Because what did Jesus do in John 4? He went right through the division and he spoke to the woman. See, we got to stop thinking that there's all these silos or these, these individual walls that separate the body of Christ, the church. The power of the Holy Spirit says you're going to walk through walls. And we, we think it's going to be physical walls, but man, there's a lot of invisible, racial, spiritual, you name it, walls. We got to walk through. And that's the power of the Holy Spirit that's going to lead us and guide us and fill us and empower us to live like Jesus. I mean, that's big boy and big girl stuff. And then he, he unifies us. And then we go on. When Simon saw that the Spirit has, was given at the laying on of hands of the apostles... He offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord, perhaps he will forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. See, God's gifts are received, not bought. And Simon misses this point. The gift of God, the gift. Transactions are for business. Gifts are for relationships. I mean, we, we, we've got... We've got several folks in their church that their birthday is today. I'm not going to throw them under the bus or embarrass them. But it'd be like me giving them a gift, and they go, well, how much did you pay for that gift? Let me, let me, let me buy that gift from you. No, you're missing the point of the gift. It's a gift. Jesus says, you can't afford it anyway. That's the good news. He said, you know, can you drink from the cup I'm about to drink? I'll pass. It's a gift. And he says, Simon, man, your heart is full of bitterness. This bitterness refers back to idolatry. He sees the power. And he wants to worship and follow the power. As you think about it, he's trading up. When I lay hands on people, I I want that power to flow through me. And the, the apostles say, hey, you need to repent, man. Perhaps God will forgive you. The perhaps is this. Will God forgive? Absolutely. But it takes humility. It takes repentance. Confession. Confession is just agreement. God, you're right. I got a heart issue. I need you to fix it. 
I believe if Simon would have humbled himself and repented, and, and I don't know, Simon, it does, we don't get an indication here. He just says, you're not going to share in this ministry. I don't know if Simon was saved. Or not. I'm not going to judge that. Here, here it is in context. Um, uh, you can buy a superhero costume, but you can't fly. When I was, when I was a kid, and some of, y'all, some of y'all won't admit this, but when I was a kid, we had these things called underoos. Remember underoos? <laughs> Mm-hmm. I had Superman underoos. I couldn't fly. It is called falling. And it wasn't even falling gracefully. I mean, it was arms and legs flailing. I never flew. Never did. But I had the underoos. I had the costume. I mean, Simon's got the costume, but he can't fly. And the apostles were like, look, man, you need to deal with this. You need to repent. You need to humble yourself. And God will forgive you. The difference is how we see it. It's the motivation. It's our focus. You see, Christianity is not just to avoid the penalty of sin and avoid hell. Although I I will admit it's a great benefit. Christianity isn't following Jesus for what Jesus can give us. Christianity is following Jesus for who he is. That he is our Lord and our God, that he is the sacrifice once and for all who bore the sins of the world, who's opened the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf and understanding on our hearts. And that happens through the power of the Holy Spirit. When they had testified and proclaimed the word of the Lord, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. The gospel just kept on rolling. You see, in Acts, they preached the gospel and got into trouble. While they were in trouble, they preached the gospel. And as soon as they got out of trouble, they started preaching the gospel. I want to be a church like that. And that takes the power of the Holy Spirit. That means we we don't let walls divide us And that we speak the truth of Jesus. We don't chase signs and wonders. We're following Jesus. And when people ask us about it, we always point back to Jesus. See, our testimony is very powerful. And it should include the signs and wonders and miracles of God. But it needs to make Jesus clear. So I'm going to pray for us that... um, I'm going to pray that we have a new revelation of the cross. Because one of the things that as we mature in church, we start saying, I want to go deeper. Let me tell you something. The cross is the deepest thing that we can encounter. And I'm going to pray for a new revelation of the cross. And I'm going to pray that, that we fall in love with Jesus again. I'm, I'm going to pray for some of us to be humbled so that we can be who God's created and called us to be. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you that your love is perfect and that your love is poured out on us, that your love is free. There's nothing we can do to earn it and there's nothing that can separate us from it. And so, Father, I just pray right now that um, it's easy to get caught up in the flash and and, and the things that you do and the things that you have the ability to do. And I I pray that you... um, that your power, that your Holy Spirit 
breaks through that. And I pray that you open our eyes anew. Some in this room, maybe you open their eyes for the first time. Father, that you open our ears again and some for the first time, that you bring understanding to our hearts again and some for the first time, and give us a new, all of us, a new revelation of the cross of Christ. That without that, we could not receive the gift to be called your sons and daughters. So, Father, I pray that you fill us with the Holy Spirit. As we leave this place, that we leave full of the Holy Spirit to engage the world, to, to tear down walls, to walk through walls, to speak truth and love to people that even we have, may have decided are outside of grace. Would you take us to a point to lay our hands on them with the power of the Holy Spirit so that life change and unity can happen. Father, for some of us, we just need your Holy Spirit to bring unity in our body. And we humble ourselves at the foot of the cross. And we thank you that your grace and your mercy covers us. And that you give to us freely. So Father, we don't follow you with our life and submit ourselves to you in an effort to pay you back. We do it because we love you. Because we're so humble that you would look at a broken mess and you would look on us with love and sacrifice yourself so we could have life. So Father, I pray that we see you clearly and not follow you for what you can do, but who you are. We love you. We thank you. We pray your blessing over this afternoon and help us to draw in closer with unity to you and each other through the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Marine Creek Church is located in Fort Worth, Texas. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at www.marinecreekchurch.com. Thank you.